All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> what? <laughs> that guy's either really thirsty, or this sermon's going to go for a long time. Um, <clears throat> it's neither of those, so we'll get to that vase a little bit later. So it's my privilege. My name's Andrew. For those of you who don't know me, it's my privilege, privilege to share with you this morning. Um, Tim is away, um, so he's asked me to preach on the topic of humility. And uh, he asked me to preach on one condition, and he said, you know, you just can't promise me you won't tell any dad jokes. And I was like, Tim, 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 that is so offensive, really. Do you know me at all? And I said, of course I can't promise that. <laughs> um, so let's get a dad joke out of the way, so then I can just say, we've done one, we can move on. Is that okay? All right, excellent. Look at everyone just like slumps in their chair. <laughs> How does Moses make his tea. He brews it. He brews it. Think about it. Take your time. It's okay. Thank you. So we're preaching on humility today and I guess when you think about humility, um, you think about Bible characters, um, people in the Bible who are sort of, you know, very humble. Who comes to mind? I mean, John the Baptist is not really probably the first person that pops into your head, I would um, imagine. So who, any ideas? Who do you think of when... Um, Moses. Moses. Yeah, I think Moses is probably up there on... Uh, he's not building, you know, making his cup of tea. He's very humble. Anyone else? What else, who else think comes to your mind when you think of someone who's humble in the Bible? Jeremiah. Jeremiah, yep. Joshua. Pretty much all those major characters are pretty much quite humble. Um, and I guess when Tim was looking for someone to preach on humility, he was looking for the, probably the most humble person that he knew, and uh, that's, where, that's where I came on to, to be here. <laughs> so, um, well then on second thoughts, maybe he thought, who needs to be, who needs to learn about humility more than anyone else? Maybe that's Andrew, maybe that's why he chose me, because I need more hum humbling. Let's see. I'm not sure which one is thinking. So we know that we are called to, to be humble. We are, we're called to imitate Jesus to grow in humility, and that's part of our life, our life's aims, our life's missions. And so one of the ways to help us is to look at some examples of humility, and so we're looking at John the Baptist so today. Um, so I just pray that today would be really encouragement to you, a challenge to you, um, and that God would speak to you wherever you're at. Um, yeah, that would be, be awesome. I've got a little flipper here that's going to work. That's working. All right, so we're just starting at this with some good news. This is the point that we're starting talking about humility. So we're not talking about we want to um, behave well so that God loves us. We're talking that we are children of God, right? This is our starting point. So good news, people. As Christians, we need to be reminded every week that we are profoundly satisfied. God is profoundly satisfied with us because what, have Jesus, what Jesus has done for us on our behalf, not anything that we have done ourselves, but the default position of our heart is that we feel like we sort of have to please God by behaving well and trying to be humble, doing the right thing. And we know, oh, God will be happy with me if I'm good and if I'm bad, he's unhappy with me. But we know that's not really um, the case, that God is fully satisfied with us through Jesus, um, that Jesus has satisfied God's wrath and God sees us as his children, has adopted us into his family, right? That's our starting position. So we're not here trying to strive to be humble people, to impress God, to make him love us more. Our starting position is, where is, where is kids? He loves us. He's our dad. 
So that's a great position to be in. And um, if, we can be, um, if we can really rejoice in that and start in that point, that's, that's really awesome. Like a parent who loves their, their child completely, you know, you sort of you love your kids with your whole heart. Um, you may not be happy with some of their behaviours or, you know, we're not perfect, we haven't got it all together, we, we make uh, mistakes, uh, we sin, we know that God is probably not happy with everything that's in our life, but the starting point is that God loves us as a father loves his child uh, through Jesus, because of Jesus, not because of what we have done, but how good is that starting point? Um, that could be the sermon, we could go home after that. I don't know about you, but I, I often notice on, particularly on social media out there, there's lots of messages that get bombarded across to us, and a lot of them are really, like, positive, but in some ways it's a bit like, you, you're really great, you can do it, you can be awesome, and like, sometimes I guess we need to encourage ourselves, but I feel sometimes that we get too much of that, like you're, you know, these sort of things, that like examples up here on the screen, you're amazing and strong and brave and wonderful, you're adorable, you're incredible, you're beautiful, just the way you are. And certainly there's some, some truth to some of these little memes and things that we see, but sometimes, I don't know, I hope you can identify with this, but I feel a bit like, is this too much about me? I feel like, like bloated, like you've been to Sizzler for a meal, and it's like, too much for me, like I can do everything. You've got, you've got it all within yourself to, to be awesome. Um, and even in some of these Christian, Christian circles, there's similar messages, you know, keep a good attitude, it'll all work out, you can do it. Um, success is, don't waste time looking at other people. Focus on what you're doing. That's success. I just kind of feel a little bit like, well, I don't really always, I don't know, it's at least with a funny feeling. Um, yeah. So what is humility? I guess we need to kind of make a, a bit of definition. Um, here are some definitions that I found um, out there. There's probably hundreds and thousands of de definitions of humility, and it probably means a little bit, a little bit different to each one of you. So here's some examples, a quality of being courteously respectful of others. It's very nice, isn't it? Um, it's the opposite of aggressiveness, arrogance, boastfulness, vanity. Um, rather than me first, humility allows us to say, no, you first. And if I want to meet your needs, generally we're normally happy to come halfway, but actually humility says, well, I'll actually come more than halfway to meet you, to meet your needs. And you may have heard of this quote by C.S. Lewis before. Um, it's quite famous. Um, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And uh, the more you study and look in the Bible of humility, you just realise how much God hates pride. Like, he really, really hates it. Have you noticed? Like, he doesn't just, like, think, oh, pride's bad. But don't God really, really hates pride. This is a very wordy slide. <laughs> I don't expect you to, hopefully you can read some of those words, but it just, it's more of a definition of humility because we need to know what it is because if we've got a warped view of humility, whenever we read in the Bible about humility, we're going to sort of think, well, this is what it means. So in the middle column here, it's kind of like some aspects of what we, I would say is true humility. You know, lowly of heart, not arrogant, self-forgetfulness. You've got a balanced view of yourself. You're self-giving, you're sacrificing, you treat others with respect and concern, you worry about what, you know, their needs, um, you're servant-hearted, you're ready to serve others for their good without sort of taking a personal you know, interest, uh, you're teachable. And so, and we all know about pride on the right, and I guess sometimes we kind of sort of slide back and forth. Pride, we know what pride is. It's been thinking highly of ourselves, being vain, boasting in my appearance or my qualities, in yourself, 
self-centered. I'm sure we all have a little bit of that and probably, um, yeah, we can all identify with that. Domineering, treating others as inferior. But the other end is this sort of false humility, um, which is worth sort of thinking about. So this is sort of thinking really poorly of yourself or thinking too low of yourself. And maybe that's not really accurate, sort of self-defeating mindset. We don't want to walk around all day thinking, oh, I'm so bad, I'm so terrible, I'm a bad person. You know, is that humility? I don't, I don't think so. You can make up your own mind, of course. But this sort of false humility is being preoccupied with, you know, concern for yourself. You're so self-focused, you can't think of others. You're just so self-absorbed. You're a people pleaser. You do whatever others uh, want you to do. Um, you might be timid or insecure, um, afraid to speak up, or just always worrying about what other people think of you. So there's sort of like, you know, hopefully we agree that true humility is sort of somewhere in the middle. Um, and I don't know about you, but like we, we do swing. I sometimes find myself swinging from false humility to pride, and sometimes I'll spend some time in the middle, you know, as I was preparing this message this morning. I was, swinging, I was swinging big time. I was like, okay, yeah, I can do this. I'm like, yeah, I can get up there and speak. I can do a better job than that guy did last month, you know. Then I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm in the middle. Oh, yeah, I want to serve God. I want to, I want to bless you guys. That's why I'm here. That's why I agreed to speak this morning. Then I'm like, oh, I can't do it. I'm so low. I'm so dumb. So, so weak. Oh, I better swing back here. Okay, so I don't know about you, but we always do that. We just slide from pride to, you know. So we want to try and think. So if we've got an, an appropriate understanding of humility, when you read those verses in the Bible, and there's a lot of them about humility, we're going to think of this thing, right? God's not asking us to do this, to be, to be false, to be um, low self-esteem. I hope that makes sense. Can someone just put their hand up that makes sense to you? Anyone? Is that? Oh, excellent. Great. I'm glad you're on board with this. Cool. Awesome. So John the Baptist, like, what comes to mind when you think of John the Baptist? What, what pops up in your head? Give us some examples. Don't be shy. Locusts, yeah, locusts. This guy who ate locusts, fried locusts. Aggressive. Yeah, he was kind of really quite a direct, sort of um, sharp person, I would say. He was speak the truth. Um, the words that would really come to my mind is kind of like repent. You know, he's always there. his message was repent, repent. Um, the time is, time is now. Um, so what can we learn from this guy? Let's learn a bit about St. John the Baptist. We'll call him a saint because this, this is from a Catholic site and it was got St. John. So I just like this image. I thought it was really cool. So this is John the Baptist. So what do we know about him? He lived about 400 years after the, the last of the Bible prophets. So there's sort of that time of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was about 400 years from all the, the prophets, um, Malachi finishing off, and then we have this time of silence. And all the Old Testament prophecies and you know about Jesus the Messiah coming, 400 years is a long time to wait. So that's a lot of generations. So this is the start, I guess, of the New Testament and Jesus coming. So it's a long time for, um, for, us to, for the people of God to wait um, for him to arrive. So his ministry helps link the Old and the New Testament. Um, so John means God is gracious. He baptised in the River Jordan by immersion. That's how he got his name, funnily enough, pretty obvious. Um, we know that John was a miracle baby, so uh, his parents were really old. You might remember the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Um, and then God said to them, you're going to have a baby. Uh, and he was um, a miracle child born to some pretty old parents. He lived a prophetic life. He really spoke the, the, harsh, the well, harsh judgments, and he spoke words of um, proclamation, of repent, of turning around. Um, 
and preparing that this Messiah is near. He lived an ascetic life. Is that up there somewhere? Ascetic? No. Well, he lived a very, I guess you call it, religious, stern life. He, went, he lived in the um, wilderness, right? He went to the wilderness and God prepared him for his ministry. Um, he wasn't probably the life of the party kind of guy, uh, not a real social sort of animal, uh, very strict religious life, not given to indulging into pleasures and parties, but really focused on what, what he was here for. He had the Holy Spirit in him before he was even born in the womb. Uh, remember when um, Mary was told that, there, that well, Jesus was being her, in her womb and John kind of leaped. Um, John's six months older than um, Jesus, roughly. That was kind of cool because in my mind, like, John's an old man, like a really old guy walking around. Anyone else got that image in their head? Okay, no, well, I did. And, um, you know, but John was only roughly six months older than Jesus. So that's kind of changes how I perceive him in my mind. It's kind of cool. I thought just a good reminder for me that their, their age is not really different. Although John would have started his ministry earlier uh, than Jesus would have. John had a ministry. He had followers. You know, he baptised many people, hundreds, not thousands of people. So he had, he had a pretty good thing going. He was a pretty good leader. Um, so God, God really blessed him in that. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. That's one of those quotes that you hear a lot. You know, he's the voice of one crying, crying out of the wilderness. Um, and we, we see these repeated themes, you know, repent for the way of the king's coming uh, and be baptised um, for the kingdom of God is near. Those are sort of the major themes that we think about. Uh, he was a Nazarite, which, was, um, which means he was consecrated to God. He was sep- separate, separated or set apart for God. He took a vow that he wouldn't cut his hair. Um, he wouldn't drink um, alcohol or wine. He wouldn't touch the dead um, that was seen as unclean. So he really um, was very dedicated to God. So you sort of think, well, how can I get anything? How can I relate to this guy? You know, like this is a long time ago. This guy ate locusts, man. Like that's really weird. Who even eats locusts? Well, you know what? Locusts are pretty trendy right now. Um, so you think you can't really relate to this guy? Look at this, like honey. You know, he ate honey, wild honey as well. Did we mention that? Wild honey and locusts. Look at this. That's that's pretty cool cuisine right there. Um, fried, I think, fried locusts. Fry them. Mmm, delicious. I'm getting hungry now. So you came up, this guy wasn't, wasn't too crazy out there, okay? We can relate to him, this guy, a little bit, okay? And also, what, what else did he wear? Anybody remember what kind of clothes he wore? Sackcloth. Yeah, from an animal of a... The animal? Camel, very good. You guys are good. Check this out, man. Men's camel wool cashmere. Camel wool's very in right now. You don't even know. So just, this guy's relatable in some way. He may not have been quite as refined as this. He wore a leather belt as well, it says in the Bible. So, Has anybody ever ate a locust before? Fried locust? Or a uh, cricket? Yeah, I've had, cricket. I've had fried crickets. I'm sure Steve has. Delicious. Like a bit of oil and um, salt. So this is the verse that we've already read through. So um, I probably won't read it Again, but you know, John was baptizing. They came down. John, uh, there was a dispute with the disciples. Um, John, this rabbi is with you. He's now baptizing, and everyone's going to him instead of us. Uh, we're going to go through that uh, in detail in a little bit. Um, I love the last part of this verse. These verses, John answered and said, "A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven." You know, you guys, you guys are witness to that. I'm not the Christ. I've been sent before him. 
He who has the bride is not the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, I must decrease. So what are some examples that we can talk about that John shows us as far as humility? And the first point that I want to make, I've got three short points, um, is that he used his life as a ministry to others. And I know that a lot of people uh, in this room do the same thing. Um, I think this church is made of very, very many people who serve and are very humble. But John dedicated his life to servanthood. He gave his time, he gave his energy, um, he gave his whole life to prepare for that. that you know, the, he was a messenger, he was a voice. He was clear in what his calling was. He knew where he came from, he knew where he was going, he knew what he had to say. Prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And uh, here's some untrendy words. He was subservient to Christ. He was subordinate to Christ. He knew that Christ was above him. So John was a great man of God. You know, Jesus really um, sort of um, praised him in many ways, but he considered himself pretty lowly in comparison to Jesus, didn't he? Um, John 1, 22 to 17. Who are you that we may give an answer to those who send us? Um, so the Pharisees sent some people to come and ask John, who, are you, who you are? Who are you? What do you say about yourself? And he said, John said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why do you baptise if you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet? John answered them and said, I baptise with water, but there stands one among you whom you don't even know. It is he coming after me. He's preferred before me and whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. In the old days, which servant do you think got the job of loosing sandal straps? Like the dusty roads that all these guys would walk on, there's no nice tarmacs. Probably the lowest of the lowest of all the servants has probably got the job of, okay, the guys have come in, your, your master's come in from a day of walking, okay, you need to undo all, this, all these sandals, undo the straps, get all the camel poo off the bottom of it, you know, maybe wash the feet, and I'm pretty sure that job will be reserved for the lowest of the lowest servant. Um, and that's what John said to me. I'm not even worthy to be, that, to be that guy. That's how low he sort of saw himself. It's funny because Jesus said in Matthew 11, I tell you the truth, of all who have lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. So, you know, God, God just turns things upside down, doesn't he? You know, the, the greatest is the least. The least is the greatest. And what credentials did John have to be baptised? Like, what, what was his training? What was his theological college? Do you guys, what do you think? <laughs> what special qualifications did he have? Well, I don't know. He had the Spirit of God working in him. That's about it, really. That's all he needed, wasn't it? John had an impressive following. He had a great influence, but he didn't complain or compete with Jesus. The Bible said his mouth was closed to complaining. And that's a good lesson for me. That's hard, isn't it? Oh, man, it feels good to complain sometimes. And as part of the Bible verse that we read, it says, there arose a dispute between some of his disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to him and said, Rabbi, he is with you with beyond the Jordan. He's baptizing. They're all going to him. Does that sound like a bit of a whinge to you? A bit of a complaint? Yeah. Like, John, we've been following you. You know, you've got an awesome ministry. We've been baptising. We've been growing all these people coming and turning life around. And now they're all going to this guy. What are you going to do about that? 
Sounds like a bit of a despair, a wail of despair almost. So how did John the Baptist cope? Did he complain? No, he didn't complain. He wasn't proud. He didn't grasp onto his ministry. He just knew that he was a voice. Whatever God wanted to say to him, he was happy to do that. Such a deep level of humility uh, in John. I found this little verse um, on a website called desiringgod.com. It's really good. Give it a plug. Um, but this is an author called John Bloom. He's a staff writer on the, on the, on the, um, the website. Just talking about how they might have felt when they, this, this scenario of the disciples um, feeling, oh, this is the John's followers, sorry. When they, no, when they noticed that Jesus was the one who was getting all the, the followers. Uh, it's really well written, so I thought it much better than uh, that John Bloom writes this and says this. So I'll just share this thing here. It says, It was all a bit hard to comprehend. John's disciples had understood his mission. He had come to prepare the way for the hope of Israel. It had been thrilling. The long-expected time was so close. That climactic day when Jesus appeared and John publicly proclaimed him the Messiah. The wonder could yield no words. But they hadn't expected to feel marginalised by it. The past year had been a heady one. John had blazed across Judea like a shooting star. The first real prophet in four centuries. All the eyes had been on him, from king all the way down to peasant. And he called them all to account, including the self-righteous Pharisees. When John spoke, God moved, people repented and were baptised. No one had spoken like this man. From all over Palestine, people had flocked to hear him. The oppressed, the weary people of God, living under Tiberius' thumb and Antipas' corruption, they had hope again. The disciples had seen revival and they had been right in the middle of it. And then all of a sudden, they weren't. The surge moved past them and went on to Jesus. Of course it was wrong to be envious of the Messiah, but still, how could their beloved rabbi and, and they with him suddenly be relegated to the periphery after all that God had done through them? They couldn't help but express their perplexity to him. Rabbi, teacher, he was the one with you across the Jordan. Look, he's doing it. They're all going to him. And John, who had been staring out at the water, you just kind of imagine the moment, turned his intense eyes at them. And they were filled with joy. He said nothing for a moment. He felt compassion for them. He understood. He knew their inner conflict. He knew their sincere godly, godly ambition for the kingdom. And he knew their selfish ambition to have a prominent role in the kingdom. He knew how the latter insidiously wove itself into the fabric of the former and how difficult it could be to discern one from the other. This was a moment of sifting for them, of heart exposure. Because he had spent a lifetime being prepared for his brief ministry of introduction. Those years in the wilderness, God had worked him over, ruthlessly laying bare his deeply entrenched and multifaceted pride and training him to die to it. This discipline had brought about the peaceful fruit of the righteousness of faith. He had learned to anticipate his replacement more than his own prophesied prophetic role. He had learned to love the bridegroom's appearing and not love the celebrity of being the bridegroom's best man. But they had not come easily. 
Learning to love the great wedding more than their part in it would not come easily to them either. He knew they loved the bridegroom, but they were just learning that when the blessed Lord grants a role to play, one must perform it faithfully, but never grasp it. For the Lord also takes away. The role is not the reward. The Lord is the reward. So let's reflect, I guess, think about yourself. You know, has God given you roles to play uh, in ministry, in loving others, in your life to play? How hard do you grasp those things? Do you hold them with an open hand? I know in this world we're taught that success is building your own kingdom, looking after your own family, your own finances, your own career, your own wealth. Um, but what, it would look, what would it look like if we turned that around and success was defined by service to others, you know? Um, I know many of you already serve in the church so much. It's really impressive. Um, a friend of ours used to use an example saying that I want to be loose change in God's pockets. Uh, I don't know no one carries change anymore these days, but um, in the old days, you have like, you have loose change, you get change from a transaction, you just put it in your pockets, like five, ten, twenty cent pieces. And a friend was saying that you know that's the sort of stuff that you spend easily. You're not like holding on to it. You're not trying to save it. But your loose change is what you sort of aren't too worried. You'll spend it wherever you like on whatever you please, right? And his idea was that we he wants to be loose change in God's pockets. That God would spend him easily, and he would be willing and open to that. God, you want to spend me on something really? mediocre and menial? You want me to clean the toilets of the church? I'll do that willingly with a glad heart. You want to spend me to become prime minister and make inroads for the kingdom of God? I'll do that too. But whatever, whatever you want, just I'm open to be spent like that. And it's a great kind of illustration, you know, when you've got walking around um, this week with all your coins in your, in your pockets. Just think about that. God, I want to be loose change for you to spend however you like. It's kind of a cool example. Are you open and available to him? Do you dictate what he can spend you on? Or are you open? That's a challenge. That's challenging to me as well. Okay. I kind of went past that. Second point was that he was open to God's purposes. And all these points seem very similar. I don't know about you, but that's, that's okay. Maybe God's trying to get a point across to us, to me. Um, but he was open, you know, he dedicated his life firstly, but he was also open to God's purposes. He wasn't so self-absorbed, self-preoccupied, self-sufficient, self-reliant, or working on his own kingdom. He was open to what God wanted to do. He knew that his ministry came from God, uh, and it belonged to him. God saw true servanthood in John the Baptist. And Second Chronicles says... God's eyes are running up and down the world, searching for those whose whole heart seeks him. Uh, and Paul expressed similar feelings in Galatians. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. What's your life? What's taking up most of your passion, your energy, your time, your resources? It's good for us to think and reflect, isn't it? Imagine if you're a pastor and, you know, instead of having a, a job description that says what you have to do, you know, it said, oh, this is your key, um, 
you know, jobs want you to do. If your, your role, like your role description said, oh, pastor of Pine Rivers Church of Christ, humility. And that's, that's your role. Imagine going to like the pastor's retreat. <laughs> hey, what's your church? How many in your church? You know, what's your income? Uh, what's your role at the church there? Oh, yeah, um, my role is humility. No, no, really, what do you do? Like, what, you know, you, you're the worship leader. Like, you know, how's it going? No, I'm just, I'm here to serve. I'm here to love people. That's my role. That would be kind of cool to, to see. Um, yeah. He was open to God's purposes, and um, he was humble enough to, to prepare for the ministry out of the spotlight. And so it's kind of easy to, to be in the spotlight and go, okay, that guy's, I want to be up there and find, I want, to be, I want to lead people, I want to speak for God, I want to, you know, be a Franklin Graham. But um, he was humble to prepare for the ministry way, way before it even happened. You know, out, driven out into the uh, wilderness um, where the people came to him. He didn't go and seek the people. People came to him to be baptised by him in the wilderness. And God was obviously refining him, teaching him, um, and, you know, stripping away the pride that he, he might have had. Also, he was humble to do God's purposes in the hard times. Again, you know, it's great to be the person up there preaching the good news of God, the good news of the gospel, but John was obedient to preach the hard things. You know when the, um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came, came along, you know, John really gave him a lot of stick. He called, you guys a brood of vipers, you know. He was really spoke the hard words that wouldn't have been easy um, to speak because um, he knew that's what God had called him to. So it's easy to sort of um, desire to be the, the positive uh, role model, speak the truth from the front, but also being part of, part of humility is actually speaking the hard things. Um, it's like being in a relationship, isn't it, when you're in a relationship with somebody. Um, speaking the truth in love is sort of what a hard part of being what a relationship is, so it's quite um, a good parallel there. The other day I was having a bit of a hard day at work and um, for those of you who don't know, I work in a hospital and I do, um, I test people's breathing, their lungs, so their lung capacity, uh, respiratory function. Um, and it can be, it's a pretty good job, um, but it can be very repetitive. Uh, it can be very busy working in the hospital. And the other day I was having a really hard day, Thursday, I was thinking about this, this message and I had a really busy day with lots of patients always trying to squeeze all these urgent patients in. And I was just struggling, just like, God, oh. And I, and I was just doing the bare minimum with the patients, you know, like the test. Um, just do the bare minimum I, could, I had to do to get through the tests and get the data we needed. And I just felt like God's speaking to me. He's like, Andrew, are you, hum- are you humble? This person in front of you, like, who do you perceive this person to be? And I was just kind of in my mind, I was like, just another person. There's, there's more people, there's more sick people coming. It's never ending, right? Healthcare is never ending. There's always one more person coming along. God's like, well... If you, if you consider this person in front of you to be better than yourself, how would you treat them? How would you do that in your work? And I was like, oh, yeah. What if this person was my grandma or my grandpa or my wife, you know, who I love with my whole heart? It's like, oh, God. So every single person I had to, like, forget about the person beforehand. This is a special, unique person made in God's image. And God really spoke to me that day. It's like, okay, humble yourself. Treat these people as I would treat them as I love them. I've made this person. I love this person. And I was really um, challenged to give them the best of my energy and my focus. 
and my skills um, for they could have the best health outcomes they could have. So that was kind of a cool thing the other day. And the third point is um, John focused his eyes on Jesus. Have you ever met someone who just talks about the same thing over and over and over again? Like always just, whatever the conversation is, it just turns to the same thing. Um, and people probably say that about me, I'm sure, because I like running and um, I love to talk about running and stuff. And then people are like, oh, that guy just talks about running all the time. And like, that's not fair, that's not true, because I can talk about triathlon as well. Um, so, but I feel like John's that kind of guy who would like, he's always talking about Jesus. He's that annoying, not annoying, but you know, always turns the focus to Jesus. It's all Jesus. I want to be that guy. Um, Lord, help us to be that kind of guy. John was secure. He knew who he was. He knew who he belonged to. And um, he wasn't, he also knew who he wasn't, right? So that sort of is a good moment for us. We know who we are but who we are not. He knew that he wasn't Jesus. He wasn't the Messiah. And he wasn't Elijah reincarnated. He was um, John. He had a role to play, but he wasn't Jesus. And that's kind of a weight off our... Isn't that a great thing that's a weight off our backs? We don't have to be Jesus. You don't have to be Jesus. It's a liberating truth that, you know, life's not really all about us. It's about him, isn't it? We could appoint people to Jesus, but we're not Jesus. We're not doing his role. Um, that's great. So he knew, he knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't as well. He was joyful that Jesus had commenced his ministry. He was, he was the bridegroom's, he was the, um, the excited person at the wedding when his mate was getting married, you know. He was excited that Jesus was finally here and started his ministry. When Jesus began and had a greater ministry and a greater following and all his followers went over to him, he was stoked, he was excited. Yeah, really awesome. And the last part of that verse is probably really famous that you've probably all heard. Is that, you know, John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. Um, and I feel like this is kind of the crux of today's message that God wanted to share with us. And this is my um, glass of water. I thought I'd make it big so that you can all see. Uh, so everybody see that back? It's just a glass of water. So... So let's all gather around the, the glass of water. Um, this, is, this is us. This is you. You can imagine yourself there. That's your... Put your head on there if you like. Um, so this is us in our life. Our life is full of stuff, full of self, full of activities, full of um, family, full of work. So... Where do you sit in this thing? Where's, where is God in here? How much space is in the cup for God? I guess is a question. And I feel like God wants to encourage you this morning in that saying that uh, many of us are actually really, I think that many people here are actually fully humble and actually have really embraced humility really well. Um, and I feel like God wants to say that he sees you and he wants to encourage that in you and like he wants to affirm that in you. So that many people here, if that's you, now, God sees what you do. God sees who you are. He wants to encourage that. He wants to affirm that. So this is a positive message for you. God sees those who do the behind-the-scenes work, those who 
put themselves last and put others first. And I know that you're out there and you do it. So God wants to encourage you. I see what you do there. I love you. I love humility. You know, it's not in vain. It's for him. It's his ministry. So um, I feel like that's an encouragement for those of you who are, who are doing it. Some of you might be not sure what am I full of. I'm full of myself. Uh, I'm full of God. I'm not really sure what I'm full of, you know, as far as inside, in my spirit. Um, he must increase. I must increase. I must decrease. Some of you might be um, full of yourself. Just like, you know what? This is my life. This is my stuff, my goals, my dreams, my vision, my family, my life, my house, my rules. Um, what is God saying to you today? Is there any space for him? Is he, will he come and push you out, push yourself out and force himself in? Don't think so. I would say that he would ask you to make space for him. Maybe your life's full of really, it's really full and it's, it's full of good things, lots of good things, ministry and service, maybe not the best things. I guess it's, it's a self-reflection. It's asking God, what, what do you have for me? So how do we get more humble? It's probably a good question, isn't it? I don't have a lot of answers. There's probably lots, many ways. Um, I just have two points I'd like to share. One is that we just want to, I guess, self-examination, examination, examine ourselves, reflect on ourselves, God, or looking at our life, uh, our heart, our attitude, our behaviours, our day-to-day. Is there space for God to work in there? We don't want to strive. We don't want to strive and, you know, push ourselves out all the time and, yeah, yeah, I want to be really, really humble, but just to say, okay, um, God, show me in my life. Where, where am I lacking? Where am I just too much of myself? Where do I need more of you? And the second is let's just pray and ask God to fill us with himself, less of us. He would fill us to overflowing, that that would overflow would go into others, in a ministry to others. So, yeah, wherever you are, um, let's examine ourselves. Run a fine-tooth comb over your life, over your time and your energy, your thoughts, your attitudes, your behaviours. Ask God to show us um, where. Just got a few take-home thoughts. Um, today. So John was really great. We know that. Um, but we remember that Jesus was greater, right? Jesus um, is our model. and Jesus is the one that we were following. So while we can learn some good lessons from John, um, it's really Jesus the ultimate example of humility. Um, we know that Jesus humbled himself more than anyone else on the face of the earth. He left heaven. He came to earth and he modeled it for us. He modeled humility for us. He turned everything on its head. John was more of a recluse, an ascetic, a uh, strict who would retreat um, to the wilderness and people came to him, whereas we know that Jesus was more going out into the world and engaging with the world, um, eating with the sinners and finding people where they're at and meeting their needs uh, and preaching the good news uh, of his love. So John was more of a repent, make the way kind of guy. But we know that our message is Jesus. He's the hope and he's the light of the world. He has come to be the saviour of all men. 
Uh, Philippians 2, 7 to 9. Um, But emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, uh, Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names. Yeah, so just a few take-home thoughts. What is, what is God speaking to you about humility? Um, is there something that you might need to let go of? Uh, maybe some ministry that you're holding on to tightly, you need to release your grass and let him uh, take it. Is there something that he's asking you to take on for the benefit of others, but you've been unwilling or too scared? Um, and in a positive, more positive way, what can you get excited about as God works in us and through us? Um, yeah, let's just take a moment to think about that. Lord, we we thank you for this message this morning. We thank you that you're the greatest example of humility, that you're in heaven and then you came down to earth and you became obedient to to death. And it was a choice that you made Um, and that you humbled yourself uh, for us. And Lord, we are so grateful that you took on the the likeness of a man, Uh, you were crucified and you were brought back to life. And you brought us into your family, and we, we're just eternally grateful, God. Thank you that you show us the way. You don't expect us to um, do anything in our own strength, Lord, but you give us ministry. You give us roles. You give us jobs. You give us good tasks to do. And, Lord, we just thank you for that, that we can you know, partner with you in that. Lord, help us to hold those things with an open hand that we wouldn't grasp them too tightly. Lord, we examine ourselves. Um, our life, our attitudes. God, where, where is the space for you? Do we need to make more space for you, Lord? And sometimes we feel like we can't or we're unable or we're too weak. Lord, would you come and do it for us? It's a dangerous prayer, God, but we, we want to be open to you, that you would come in and fill that cup more of yourself and less of us. Lord, we want you to increase in us, in this world, in this community. Uh, we, won't, we don't want ourselves. We want more of you. So for those of us this morning, Lord, who are struggling, who um, find this message really challenging, God, I ask for your grace that you would open our hearts and work in us. I thank you for this church and people who here are really, really humble, really servant-hearted, um, very meek, Lord. We just thank you for those who do all the, the behind-the-scenes things that we don't even know those who pray, those who share, those who visit people. Lord, all those jobs that aren't very prestigious. We thank you for those people, Lord. May it be more, more and more. May we be a church uh, marked by our humility, by our lowliness, um, that your name might be lifted up and glorified. That would be really awesome, God. So we ask for your, your strength. Um, Holy Spirit, would you work in us? Without you, we are powerless. Um, have your way in us in this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.